Hello, and welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trimble, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Trimble, and this is the Executive Bill Podcast. As you know, this show, along with all of my speaking, coaching, and consulting services, are laser-focused on helping organizations prepare high-performing leaders from all backgrounds to successfully transition to and excel in VP and senior VP executive-level positions. And if your organization is serious about developing diversity and highly effective leadership, look, you're in the right place. I encourage you to reach out to me at alextrimble.com or reach out to me at team at alextrimble.com so we can discuss how we can work together to help you and your organization reach its DEI and leadership development goals. Finally, the Executive Pill is now one of the top 5% most popular podcasts in the world. And it didn't, didn't happen by accident. It was because of you. It was you who determined the success of this program in the past. It'll be you who determined the success of this program as we move forward. So please, if you enjoy this content, we ask you to please click that like button. Please take your time to share your thoughts and your questions in the comments section. And do please share this episode with at least two friends or colleagues today. Now, with no further ado, let me say today is a good day. See, today we have Jacqueline Osborne, the, let me correct myself, the Jacqueline Osborne, who is the Risk and Finance Data Quality Control Executive at Bank of America. Sorry, <clears throat> let me get this right. Bank of America, <laughs> where she is responsible for the design, development, delivery, and adoption of the best-in-class data management program to ensure regulatory compliance um, support operational efficiency and make sure that, you know, we're always facilitating digital transformation. Prior to this, she served as the chief data officer for global banking and marketing at HSBC and the global head of client data change at UBS Investment Bank. <laughs> but that's actually where I know her from. See, I personally interviewed on her amazing podcast called 52 Weeks of Me. And let's guess this right now, 52 weeks is about to 52 weeks of me. Hashtag, you're welcome. Finally, if that wasn't enough, Jacqueline is a member of the American Society of Management Engineers, the National Association of Female Executives, and the National Association of Professional Women. Without any further ado, how are you doing today, madam? Oh, I'm so good. But but first, before we talk about me, I am honored to be on the podcast in the top 5% of the world. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Look, I I do credit this this success large and well in all part to the to the audience, but also because when I was on your show, I got that 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 Jacqueline bump, you know? I got that I got that bump where you're just, you know, <laughs> It's like Nas. Here's Being on your show it. is like Nas. <laughs> yeah, here's to win-win, right? Me help you, you help me. We're 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 all in this together. Well, 
Let's get going on that end. That you know, we talked about. You just you just brought up win win. Me help you, and you help me. And I, I want to start us off with talking about your your daytime role, right? Your daytime role, and 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 working with data. The thought would be that you are responsible for helping teams, right, and helping the organization reach their goals. Um, but working with data can be touchy. Right. Like people could feel like you're you're kind of why are you in my business? Why do you want to know all my information? You're going to tell me what I could do with my information. Like I, I love to first let's start talking. Let's start talking about one. What do you do versus what you think people think you do? Let, let's start right there. Well, if it's OK, I'm going to flip your questions, because what let's start with what people think I do and then mm. what I actually do, because I get this all the time. Even my husband, my mother, I swear no one actually knows what <laughs> I do. So what do they think I do? So the first thing I get is security, You information security, stop the bugs, patches, something of that nature. Right. That That's one mm, X. Don't do that. The second thing I get all the time is platforms. Oh, well, then you're a database engineer. You're keeping <laughs> the, the platforms up, right? Of that big X again. That is also not what I do. And then the last thing that is not as far-fetched as the first two that I do not do is I'm not actually a data owner. So there is a big difference between data analytics and those that are data operators, right? I'm neither of those. I am not capturing. I am not even using the data. I am an enabler to all of the above. So my main job is to ensure the right data in the right place at the right time. So those people who use data, whether that's for operational purposes, regulatory purposes, or even, you know, customer insight purposes, have access to the right data. And we talk about digital transformation, this is becoming hot more than ever, is you can make the best models, the best AI, but if it's feeding off the wrong data, the AI and the model is not going to be good. It's the old garbage in, garbage out. So that's really what I do do, which is ensuring the right data, the right place at the right time. <laughs> you said do-do. Um, <laughs> I'm a big kid. So no, but you, you bring, like you said, a really, really hot topic in regards to, to AI. What you just talked about is really important, making sure that the data that's fed into that system to produce the outcomes is good data, right? You don't got trash in, trash out. Um, I mean, when this is being recorded, I literally just um, heard, uh, was it the CEO of Google being interviewed by 60 Minutes? And he was talking about how AI is going to disrupt the service industry, right? And if you think about that in combination with the with the with the the robotics evolution that we've had, that's going to you know it's going to uh, uh, highly impact the the service industry. Um, this is moving fast. It's moving really really fast. And there, I think there was a coalition of CEOs that actually had, like petitioning the White House to put AI on hold for a little bit while we get our hands around it because this whole black box problem. So, and if for really quickly, do you know what the black box problem is? And if you do, can you what do you want to talk about it? 
Uh, so I, I, I couldn't go into detail about it, but what I could comment on is your generic conversation about putting a pause. And, and I think what I would say to that is there's so many unknowns. Now, there's a degree where you don't know, you don't know could add a huge amount of opportunity and value. Absolutely. Yeah. But there are areas where the privacy concerns, the ethical concerns really are starting to come in, which is why a lot of countries are actually prohibiting chat GPT and corporates are prohibiting chat GPT because once you feed private data into a public model, it becomes public data. So again, can't speak specific to any black box, but conceptually the concept of, you know, the question of pausing oversight concern, there's definitely a balance between maximizing benefit and doing so in a, in a risk aware risk averse way. So perfect. I, I just want to make sure the audience was on the same page. Really quickly, my inter- my understanding of the black box is basically that you feed information into ChatGPT, for an example, um, and it puts out information, but you don't know how it came up with that information, right? That answer, that being the black box. And so I, I, I bring this to you because your your role is to ensure that there's good data for it to feed on. Um, how do you how do you do that when there's such a driving pressure to utilize the newest technology, the newest trends to to make revenue and and actually help people in a lot of ways, right? Like you said, there's a lot of benefits to come back. How do you how do you measure how much you say, hey, look, let's let's slow down on this? Well, you know, it is a constant struggle. I always call it the sexy legs. AI is the sexy legs of data. Everybody wants to be talking about AI. Everyone wants to be talking about ChatGPT. But what I do is really the the non-sexy piece, or if we're building a house, it is the foundation. It is that core level. And getting people to take not only one step, but sometimes two steps and three steps to answer three simple questions. One, what data do you need? Two, where should you get it from? And three, how do you know it's it's accurate? That is so critical. But when you're running full speed, yeah. to, to pause and ask those questions is not first on everyone's list, let me tell you. And then and I come and say, wait, 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 pull back, pull back. <laughs> so it is absolutely a balance. And, you know, as I tell, you know, Everybody, it's, I want you to go forward. I want you to work. I want you to be enabled, but I'm also want to ensure it's done in the best ability, again, with that right data, right place and right time. So it's trying to partner with the end destination while ensuring we get there in the most optimized and, and to be fair, highly accurate and, and controlled way. I, I love your word choice. You said end destination. If you would have said final destination, it would, it would be a completely different conversation. For those who remember that movie, um, do you remember that movie? Final Destination. Final Destination. Like, we're no. like, oh, oh my I'm god! Matrix, I'm thinking, but no, if it's an actual movie by itself, this goes to show you my uh, my <laughs> the amount of time I spend. It's just like music. Give me an author or a singer, and I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, I have to imagine. Well, here, here's here's the rub. Here's the rub. So again, you're kind of in your role, you have to now tell people to pump the brakes at times, um, which means that, you know, I mean, there's, I've been and worked with organizations where there are leaders who are, you know, their role is to kind of pump the brakes at times, to make sure, again, data is accurate and things are safe and so on and so forth. Um, and then you can, what you run into an instance and sometimes 
is, okay, well, we, we know that Jacqueline's going to tell us that we should slow down. So let's just not tell Jacqueline. So have you ever ran into those types of situations? And, and how do you manage when you, again, when people may just try to avoid um, things getting to your plate. So you can't say no, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to lie. I've had many programs intentionally and unintentionally. It's not always intentional. Mm-hmm. Actually, more often than not, it's unintentional. Um, do things where I would have liked to have been engaged earlier. It's like my favorite saying is going back to the SDLC process, which is the software development life cycle. Would you rather find a bug fix post-production or would you rather find it during design, sit, sit, you know, it's technology testing or user testing, the sooner the better, right? And that's how I handle it. It's like, help me help you as we started with win-win in the beginning. I am not the enemy. I'm not trying to intentionally make things harder. I'm trying to save the cost, save the time at the end, because if you do create it, just like any SDLC process, and you're now post-production, and all these, these applications that are in users' hands, you make one user experience issue, you can lose everybody for good, just like that, oh, wow. right? Wow. Cancel culture is, is real, like yeah. just like that. So the quicker we can do it up front, the better. And that's how I try to come across it as a carrot, help yeah. me help you rather than a stick, because in my experience, sticks don't really work trying to say you must, you have to. So I really come from it as a partnership and as a, this is for you and finding out the, what really will give them the sense that this is in your best interest. So what you're saying, I think is spot on. Um, I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, there's, there's no need to use a stick all the time, but how did you learn this? Like what, how, how did you get to your, this point in your career? where you learned the, the leadership skills necessary or needed to navigate these difficult and complex relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've asked myself a bit, and I, and I, it's, I think it depends on the stage of the life that I'm in, but I do believe there's, there's three kind of core themes that persist over the years. And number one is just trial by error. We will make mistakes. You will mess up. But the big thing I think, and I actually think one of your past guests actually said this, is it's not about failing. It's about learning. So you either win or you learn. And I think that is number one. So trial by fire, sink or swim. You know, I actually appreciate when I'm thrown into the deep end and have to sink because that's the opportunity to learn. So that's number one. Number two, which may surprise some some people because it is definitely hard and the struggle is real, but parenthood. I strongly believe that my children have made me a better leader. And the two main things, and I probably do a whole episode just on this, so I'll try to keep it brief, but patience and persistence. And I think that's what my kids and motherhood has given me is that ability to really be patient and listen and to continue to be persistent and trying to explain to them again, not because I said so, but because I've explained it in a way that they understand and they can get through it. So I, I really believe the correlation between leadership and parenthood is, is, is really is real. And then third, I'm going to take it back to the 52 weeks of me journey, because I do think there's something I genuinely believe that my ability to put my oxygen mask on and take care of myself makes me a better leader. And some of the examples I'll I'll give there, 
is the um, resiliency is you get knocked down, you get back up, but also the calm. I used to, I always say this wrong. I used to react very quickly because you're stressed, you're time, you're, you have time constraints, right? And I used to just react. And what I've learned through the self-care journey is take a pause, take a deep breath and come back. And that I think is also really important because if you're reacting, you're reacting out of emotion versus reacting out of fact. So hopefully that helps. They're very three very different things, but I think collectively they've come together to shape me to who I am today in this moment. And I'm sure if I come, came back in five, 10 years, I would have another learning experience. But for where I am right now, those are the three biggest contributing factors. And then of course, the people and the mentorship around me. You, oh my God, you just said so much. Thank you. All these bombs. Um, so uh, I want to touch on all of them. Okay. So the, the first one though, first one is, is slowing down. And, I, and I'll admit like, this is something I've had to work a lot on because I'm a thinker and I like to do like action. I can do something and then I'll, I'll get it wrong. I'll correct it. Like I'm, I'm not worried about getting it wrong. Right. But man, like I've learned over the years, there is so much, there's so much positive that can come from just let me respond tomorrow versus today. Right. But I feel like there's like, what do you I feel like? There's always this, this push to, I need to respond now. I need to do something. I need to act now. How, how do you, how did you start slowing down yourself to, to give yourself that time? So you said two things I want. I want to cover both of them. There's the slow down, but there's also the need to have an answer the right answer or be perceived as having the right answer. And I think those are both so important, but slightly different. So if it's okay, I want to touch on both of them. So the slowing down was hard because I am a recovering perfectionist, a recovering overachiever, a recovering workaholic. And that comes with go, go, go. Actually, true story. I was born in the car. And my dad will tell you <laughs> that I've been in a rush since the day I was born and I haven't stopped. And, and true story, I was. I was so excited to come into this world. So slowing down is something that doesn't come naturally to me. And it really, I have to ask myself, like, is that, does this need to happen right now, right? How can you take a break? How can you take a pause? And so that's just something that I've, you know, I consistently remind myself day in and day out to like pause, rest. And, but the bigger one here is the not have the right answer. Mm. And I think we believe or society tells us that answering and speaking and the right answer is right. But there is a huge amount of executive presence and leadership and being able to say, I don't know or parking lot, I'm going to come back to you. And I actually look at that as a strength, not as a negative. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And this is a classic example. Where I've just had to change the way I look at things is that being right and being, you know, they always say that those of us <laughs> that are the, the speakers in the room, the extroverts who speak 80% of the time, need to speak, you know, 20% of the time, and those that are not, that are the quiet introverts that speak 20% of the time need to speak 80% of the time. So I'm constantly, you know, asking, am I, am I doing that? So hopefully that gives you a few tips and tricks in those spaces. But the biggest one is just change the way you look at things that being right and speaking isn't always the best outcome. 
Are you ready to bring your DEI efforts to the next level? Introducing Alex Tremble, a professional speaker who combines expertise and entertainment to create an unforgettable experience for DEI professionals and organizing staff. With a focus on leadership, mentorship, and relationship building, Alex is dedicated to helping organizations attract, develop, and retain diverse and high-qualified leaders. From the 12 pillars of an effective mentoring relationship to the seven must-have leadership skills, Alex provides practical advice that can be immediately implemented. Don't miss out on the opportunity to have Alex at your next event. Contact team at alextrimble.com to book the speaker who will take your organization's diversity and inclusion journey to new heights. Goodness gracious, everyone, if you haven't got something from this right now, um, you need to wake yourself up, like pinch yourself, like, you know, put your hand on a hot, never mind, I want to get myself in trouble. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I love everything you're talking about. And, I, and you make me then think about the, the, the not having to have the right answer and being willing to say that you don't have the right answer and, and open the floor for other people to speak. Um, I, there are a lot of people who believe, like you said, in order to be an executive, in order to feel like I'm smart or look like I'm smart, I need to say something. Um, otherwise, people will say I'm not smart. And I think, like you said, it's very interesting where if you, what I learned in my leadership journey is as I moved up, I, it became less about me making the right decision versus facilitating the team, facilitating discussion and having other people bring ideas to the table. Um, and then that also brought buy-in and more creativity than I would have ever thought of too, you know? I mean, so not to plug my own podcast, but just this, this, this past week. So we release on Thursdays and I, I listened to every episode I was listening. And my guest says that she was once given guidance to make herself redundant. And I really think that is so powerful here in context where you're going is that as you go up, you actually do less. As you go up, you are influencing and you are delegating and you are empowering more and doing less. And I think this is the whole thing of like burnout and workaholic. If you try to continue the same level of doing as when you were an individual contributor, you will fail, you will burn out, right? If you try to make the same amount of analysis, it's unsustainable. So therefore then, well, what is sustainable is making yourself redundant and maybe no, not being fired, but the message being is that if you are not physically there, the ship can, the show goes on because everybody continues to turn. And that's true to me, the definition of leadership it's not being able to do, but being able to influence the collective community to do on your behalf. I, I can't tell you. I, there's one person that comes to mind right now, a, a client of mine I, was, I coached a few years ago. Phenomenal, phenomenal woman. Like, like every, the, the, her reputation was second to none in her industry and where she worked. People trusted her um, to get things done. And she was so tired, so, so, so tired. I'm like, hey, hey, I, you need to take a break. No, 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 because my team needs me. So I got to do this. I got to pick up the phone at three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you're, you're the director. Should there someone else to be picking up the phone? 
no, 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 because I don't want them to be tired. And I'm like, you can't pour into someone if you have nothing left. Like, you're so right. And when I'm, you know, again, when I'm coaching people, it's, it's really hard for those leaders who, who care about people. It's really hard for people, for a leader who care about people to, to, to adopt this because they think they're helping other people. But I think if you're, if you're, if you're wasted, that makes you a less effective leader and less supportive leader. And the, the team will then see you struggling and they'll see how you're working around the clock and they say, oh, yeah, I guess I need to be doing that too. So it actually may increase the stress level on your team by not delegating and, and relying on them and, and giving them the room to try to do these things themselves, you know, with, with your mentorship. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. And this comes back to the blog. So the 52 Weeks of Me journey started where I hit burnout. And I performed an act of self-care every week for 52 weeks. Yes, it has progressed to a podcast where I now interview others, but it was all about I, Jeff and Osborne, I in the beginning. And one, one of the weeks of the, the blog, the blog was how I held myself accountable for the acts that I was performing. And what started out as a time management or I'm going to go to the spa, I'm going to get my nails and I'm going to go on a shopping spree, very much became a mindset shift. And one of those weeks was go on vacation. And I'm, I'm very serious. So it's like, well, Jacqueline, what does vacation have to do with leadership? Well, so much because by going on vacation and genuinely leaving your, they're not Blackberries anymore, but <laughs> your work email, what do we call it now? Your, your red iPhone, I don't know. Leaving your work email aside it actually enables you to empower those that work for you. And I think that's the key thing is if you keep providing that crutch and you keep doing it on their behalf, how are they going to demonstrate to you that they actually can do it and they can step up? So I think one of the best advice I can get in employees might not like this. Uh, sorry, employers might not like this, but, but take vacation and don't just take the call and do the emails and be out of the office, actually take vacation and put all work down because that's really where you are empowering people to grow and challenge them to be better. So again, this is going to be maybe the theme of the podcast. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. If you look at vacation as I'm not there, I'm not supporting my team to, hey, I'm not there, I'm empowering my team. I I want to I want to I want to take a quick step back because I love everything you just said and I want to say for all of you who who hear this um you may you may flinch at at, at the word the, the v word the, the v word that it should not be spoken the vacation word because not only cuz you're too busy you don't have the time and so on and so forth but also I can't afford a vacation and and that's a real belief and and that's a real um fear across everyone in America I, I know in America, that people are struggling, right? Um, you know, inflation and and unemployment rates and and you know layoffs and so on and so forth. And I, I just want to make sure people understand that when we talk about vacation, um, it doesn't mean you need to go to Dubai for a week, right? Um, it doesn't mean you need to go and you know do some fancy get, getaway at Cancun. Um, vacation can be staying at home and just taking a few days off, refusing to to do work and engaging in something that that allows you to relax and rest which whether it be reading or meditating or, or 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 jogging or or spending time with your family um it's it's meant to be a break from um you know, actually let me take a step back because spending time with family could be a, a 
another job. So, but you get the point. <laughs> no, and that is also, you know, as a working mom, so we haven't talked about, you mm. know, the kid life. I did mention motherhood, but I've got three boys aging from five years old to 14 years old. So I've got a big gap. And let me tell you, that is also true. We, we kind of say vacation and holiday, and I'll let you decide which one you want to use in which, which context. But there is a difference between being mom, the planner, the coordinator, the pleasing everyone, the, the scheduling, the driving, and then there's actually just the detox. And to me, sometimes actually sitting in my own backyard with nothing to do, or maybe it's my garden, is actually a vacation. So the point being, I think that is a really good shout out and a really good correction because it doesn't need to be elaborate. It just means you are not working. You know, I, I'm going to say something that I'm pretty sure I can't get myself in trouble for, because I think at the time we, 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 we post this, it will be okay. Um, I am going to be learning with you or learning from you on this parenting journey. Oh my God. <laughs> now, I'm assuming reading between the lines that mean a baby is we, percolating and that is so a little dude on the way <laughs> my and wife here we're talking so about excited. crying are you crying am i crying we're both gonna be crying <laughs> this, this this little dude was doing like cartwheels in the stomach today and just living his best life and um, I, I honestly, the, I know this is not where we were going, but in, as he's been growing, my wife and I have been like, just talking to so many different parents and we watched a number of different, uh, parenting shows on Hulu, one called the parenting test, which is a super awesome show. Um, like it really forced us to have conversations with each other about our, our parenting styles and what we want to happen and how we will partner on this. And I mean, he's not even here yet. And I've learned so much about myself, um, including, you know, including I, 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 how I want to do business and live my life. Like the reason why I'm managing, you know, my, my training and speaking business full time is because I want to have the flexibility to spend more time with him. And so like, I'm just, I'm super excited, as you can see. <laughs> so, so again, plug for my own podcast, but we had, a, we had another guest who talked about parenthood and the importance of men taking paternity leave because mm. there's actually the parenthood, actually the, the skills, and I talked about it earlier, but the skills you learn on maternity, paternity leave are game changing to mm. work. So it's no surprise that this little dude's not even here and you're starting to see that already. And it's true. It's the plasticity. And I'm not the expert. Go listen to the episode. The plasticity of the brain changes in the days, the weeks, the months after a baby. Some could do with the sleeplessness and and all that comes. But it is such an opportunity to rethink and make changes and ask myself like, Am I stepping off the treadmill, right? If you're just in go, 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 it's an opportunity to say, hey, what can I do differently? Maybe I need to change the speed or change the, uh, the grade, et cetera. Um, so I want everyone, please do uh, watch that episode. And I will be watching that episode so I can also learn. And again, I'm, continue, I'm hoping you and I will continue to con- uh, stay connected so that you can tell me, you know, 
all the crazy stuff I'm doing and also tell me when I'm not being crazy. Um, I, I do want to, I do want to throw out, um, now everyone who's listening, but by the way, I'm gonna be talking about our little dude, like much more moving forward. Um, but I, I did, when you talked about the importance of mentorship, um, I love to, this is something that I speak about a lot and do a lot of workshops on effective building effective mentoring, uh, relationships and, and working with mentees and mentors to, you know, again, have these successful and efficient and effective relationships. I'd love to hear from you, like what has mentorship um, played in your, in, in your life and in, in, in your professional life as well? And we didn't even plan this, I swear, but what a timely question. And I'd like to just give some context. Again, same episode I released yesterday. Uh, we were talking about being visible and we were talking about it's no longer good enough just to be great. You can be a great ex but not get promoted and not excel. And what we talked about is one of the key differentiators is, is creating relationships with people, i.e. sponsors, that can help you get seen, get heard, and get promoted. And, and I've never done this before, but when I released or I, I promoted the episode on LinkedIn, I actually tagged all of my sponsors back to when I was in oh. school. That's so awesome. We didn't plan this. And so within the past 48 hours, I really just had this epiphany on how important those sponsors were to me because it is so easy to be great. Do you know 9% annually of current employees are promoted each year? How can you get in that 9%? That's your differentiator right there. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. The, the difference between being good at your job and getting noticed for being good at your job is finding a sponsor who can help, you know, um, get you seen, get you recognized, advocate for you, and more importantly, get you that promotion. And I, I don't even know if I'm answering the question anymore because I'm just so passionate about it. And sorry oh, for no, getting so loving excited. It, loving it. But it is something that just really resonated with me recently. I, if you don't have a sponsor, and there is a, definitely a difference between a mentor and a sponsor, which I'm sure you've talked about, but basically the sponsor is the person who has a seat at the table to get you promoted, whereas the mentor can just give you really good advice but can't really change the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, both. And anything that, that you need to do, and I'm happy to take questions offline uh, because it is so important. I, I, lo I love that you went there. And everyone, this is not scripted, um, but your check is in the mail. Um, what's called, <laughs> you know, when, when you and I spoke on, your, on your, uh, our episode together on your podcast, you know, I talked about this, this thing called the Executive Pill events, where I was holding these day-long um, interactive um, sessions with the CEO and, and, and certain leaders who are high performing so they can prepare them to move into senior level leadership positions. Since then, we've actually blown that up to create a year long program specifically focused on helping individuals, again, develop those skills, political savvy skills, those communication skills. Um, but one of the most important components of that program is the sponsorship. Um, because again, you just said 9%, 9% get promoted within. Um, there are many research studies showing that 80% of positions are filled via the black market. I, I call it black market, which is relationships. And so that means that all these organizations, I'm going to be real right now, 
all these organizations who say they're about that life, say they're about inclusivity and DEI and so on and so forth. If you do not have an intentional program to connect those individuals from the groups and underrepresented communities that you say you're, you want at the table, if you don't have an intentional program and opportunity to push them through the leadership ranks, you have some nice kumbaya sessions. Again, and I'm not going to downplay because those understanding cultural competency, things like that, it's important. But if you're looking at your leadership team, especially your senior executive leadership team, and there's no diversity there, it's because you're not connecting those individuals with the people who can actually get in those positions. This is why, again, I have this program and I actually, my new book is coming out later on this year, specifically on how to build those strategic and intentional relationships. Yeah, I, I mean, not trying to pull the, the gender card here, but I think for those that can see me and those that can hear me, I am female and I have been in senior management in a tech heavy, data is often tech heavy role for quite some time. And so having the females around me wasn't always there. And I, I will say is a lot of these relationships are made on the golf course or are made after work at the bar. And I'm, as a mother, wasn't visiting those places. So it is a little extra to find those when you don't happen to be in the network with those that are the decision makers. So I'm super excited for the book. Hopefully I'll you know, let me know when it's out and I can get a copy of it and maybe we'll bring you back and we could talk about it on our, my podcast. See this <laughs> in here. But, but absolutely relationships are so key and it's the right relationships, not just any relationship. And I wanna, I'm gonna slide in one last thing and feel free to, re to react to it. Um, you just talked about uh, the, the golf course, the, the bar, um, I, I know there's a study recently came out saying that 70% of people want to attend trainings virtually. Um, I understand, I understand the convenience. I understand, um, the, the, the cost savings. I understand all those things. And I think everyone should be very, very honest with themselves that it is so much more difficult to build those relationships from a computer screen. I was in a meeting with someone the other day and they were saying how virtual is just as good as being an in-person training. I said, you know, you just left the training 30 minutes ago. She said, yeah, it's like, and you're talking to me now. You didn't walk down the hall with them. You didn't go to lunch with them. You didn't go to anything with them. You, you, you asked a couple questions in the chat box, right? So yeah, but you didn't talk to anyone else. And like, like, it's just, it is so different. So again, I know everyone doesn't have the opportunity possibly, or hmm, everyone doesn't have, um, the same resources in regards to this, but I would, I would strongly recommend that whenever possible, meet people in person and go to places and events and opportunities in person to, to just build these relationships that can then last for um, longer while you're virtual, but you gotta meet people in person. I, that's where I feel like. Yeah, I've got two really quick snippets and I don't know where we are in time, so hopefully I can be quick with these. Two really quick examples that I think will, will emphasize that point. Number one is about me. I joined my, my, my current job in March 17th, 2020. For those that don't know, that was basically the day everybody was sent home and the pandemic was really becoming a pandemic, which means I started a new job, new company, new everything, 100% virtual. And the difference of being doing that versus having the access to shake someone's hand, grab a cup of coffee, build relationships was absolutely very hard. So I can say firsthand from my own experience 
that I would always choose in person over the virtual. It's not that it's impossible. I did it, but it makes things much harder. And then second, I was with uh, friends this past weekend, and we were talking about how their children are starting careers and they're fully remote. And the first thing I thought about, and and the the rest of the girls were like, oh my God, those days when you were out of college and you were meeting people and building networks, those friends of my first job are still my friends today, five jobs later. So I just feel for this new generation that will never experience the water cooler conversations, will never experience the team lunch, will never experience that because again, and you're the expert on it, but I suspect a large majority of actual relationships is formed outside of the meeting. And Absolutely. in all those other things. Oh my God. I wish I could talk to you forever. Um, hashtag loving it. Um, not McDonald's up it. You, us, you, you get the point. Um, I know that we, we have to start wrapping up. Cause I think you told me that you get to do your next podcast right after this with, um, with, uh, uh, Vice President uh, Harris and the president. Okay, so I, I'm going to wrap up. I got it. Um, is there any final thoughts, ideas, anything you'd like to share with our audience as we begin to wrap up? I think we've hit so many great things, but just if I can leave you with with one thing, because I, I have that resiliency on the brain and I think it's so important. Like we didn't talk about this concept of like perfection And I I just think like for anyone who's thinking that I or probably any of these guests never made a mistake, never failed, never had a bad experience. I just want to put it out there that absolutely we all have. And the only difference, just like we're all scared at times and we all face fear, but we do it afraid and we get back up. So I think just leaving with that, I don't think we talked about that as much, is that really to me climbing the corporate ladder, executive leadership. It's not about being perfect. It's about being human. And it's about coming back the day after and the day after and just permission to be yourself. We couldn't have ended on a better note. Thank you so much, madam. Thank you so much for everything you shared today. Thank you so your, for your time. Thank you for the laughter that you brought to the conversation. Thank you for the seriousness and and underscoring the importance of sponsorship. I, I really appreciate everything you've shared. And those of you who are listening and watching, I, I please let us know what, what, what landed on your heart. What, what, what was shared today that you thought was just like, wow, I'm going to implement this. This is going to help me change my life or help me get to my next opportunity or help me navigate this next challenge. Please do share those thoughts. And everyone, I'm going to end with the same thing I always end with. If you found anything of value from this conversation, Don't just look back, reach back, bring someone else to this conversation. And more importantly, bring the conversation to them, share the link, click like, click subscribe. Be sure that everyone who can benefit as you have benefited from this episode has the opportunity to do the same thing. Thanks for listening to The Executive Appeal with Alex Trumbull. I invite you to follow The Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trumbull, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.